0: We're in 2 Timothy chapter 2 today, starting at verse number 14. Remember that this is Paul's final letter. It is written, I believe, probably in the later portion, of, or excuse me, in the middle portion of, of 65. That's my guess. Um, and uh, Timothy is the addressee. Timothy is at Ephesus. Paul is at Rome. And uh, Paul wants Timothy to hang in there in the midst of all the persecution that's going on uh, with these Neronian uh, persecutions of Christians, uh, particularly at Rome itself. A lot of Christians are being killed at Rome. Uh, But uh, leaders are being grabbed up as well. Uh, Peter's already dead, and Paul has apparently already been condemned, I think, at Ephesus, Uh, But he has now been taken to Rome, where no doubt he appealed for imperial review again. uh, And he will go through another trial. Uh, But the expectation is he won't come out of that. Uh, He will be killed too as a ringleader of these Christians. Uh, But regardless of all that, Timothy needs to keep doing the work of a preacher of an evangelist, of a teacher of the Word of God. And so here is Paul's pastoral advice to him in this second letter, 2 Timothy 2.14. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words which does no good but only ruins the hearers. Now, we have to sometimes talk about the definition of words. That is not what Paul is talking about here. Paul is talking about philosophy, where word games are part of the teaching style. And so Paul has made it very clear on other occasions that he is not a big proponent of human philosophy. And so here he's basically telling Timothy the same thing he's talked about before, and that is be genuine, be straight up, don't play the word games that some of these people want to play, speak the truth in love. Because word games only do the people in. And I would have to agree with that. I think a lot of people uh, get distracted from the truth of Jesus Christ by quite um, charismatic philosophers that like to mess around with words and um, get people uh, off track from the real Word of God, and so that's why we try to do straight up Bible teaching here, as as into the Word, and I hope you appreciate that. Uh, verse number fifteen. Paul continues to talk to Timothy. Understand that he's. He senses, I think, that this is going to be his last written communication to this young man. And by the way, when I say young man, I mean that uh, Timothy's probably uh, in his early 40s now, I think, maybe upper 30s. So do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who has no need to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth. Uh, Now, the idea here is uh, that Timothy needs to do things in such a way that it demonstrates, beyond a shadow of doubt, that he knows the word of God, and he knows the God of the word, so that Timothy doesn't have to be embarrassed about what he's doing And who he's representing. And that is very much uh, indicated by what you do with the written word, by what you do with the inspired word of God. Uh, Rightly handling the word of truth is the idea of um, taking care of it and presenting it in an authentic and appropriate fashion. those of us that have gone to school for being treat, uh, preachers, we have often been required to take uh, hermeneutic classes, uh, which is going to teach us all sorts of rules of understanding things. And then we take preaching classes where we're taught to uh, present these things in an in a absorbable fashion, in a way that is memorable. Well, that, I think, is partly what's being talked about here in rightly handling the word of truth, because it is a matter of transmission. God has already spoken through his word, his written word, what he wants people to know. And we preachers need to take a hold of that Make sure we understand it ourselves the way that it was intended to be understood. That's why we, we preachers need to spend a lot of time in Bible study. And you preachers out there, if you're not, you need to get back to it. Get busy with that. Do the work. Put in the sweat and the labor. Don't just read things in a commentary and take it at face value. Get out there and do your own research. Do your own studies. So we need... To soak that stuff up, we need to make sure we understand it. And then we have to turn around and understand who we're talking to, who we're going to be preaching this to, who we're going to be passing this on to. And we have to make sure that they'll be able to understand it the way it was intended and that it will have the appropriate impact on them. I've told you many times that I spent about eight years... Uh, doing ministry, I suppose, as an elementary school teacher in a Christian school. And I had the exact same attitude toward that job as I do toward preaching and teaching the Word of God. And so I had to take mathematics, and I had to take English, and I had to take history, and I had to absorb it and understand it, and then turn around and put it on uh, terms that my kids could understand. And the thing I was always looking for, sometimes literally looking into their eyes, is I was wanting to see them suddenly comprehend and get it, you know, the light bulb to go off. And nothing made me happier than one of my students going, Mr. Short, I understand how it works. And then they could tell me and show me that they did know how it worked. And then I knew it didn't belong to just me anymore, it belonged to them. And so that is what Paul is trying to communicate to his young protege, his young student, Timothy, here. That you need to be tested and approved by God as a worker that can pass this stuff on in an appropriate fashion so that they'll understand it the way it's supposed to be understood. And all you preachers out there, that needs to be your goal. Verse number 16, but avoid irreverent babble. You know, just rattling on, just saying things, that emptiness. We don't need that. And especially it does not need to be... rude crude and inappropriate uh, that's kind of the idea of the irreverent um, not appropriate um, I I have to make this critique. it seems way too often to me that a lot of the younger preachers and teachers today are not quite as careful with their language. And they sound more like the people of the world sometimes in the way that they express things. Now, that might be me being a fuddy-duddy, I suppose. But I'm not so sure that's the case. Um, We as preachers and teachers need to avoid the language of the world. Now, we still need to be relevant. We still need to be able to communicate it, and we have to use illustrations and, and connectors to help people understand it. But I'm saying we don't need to engage in the rudeness and inappropriate language styles uh, that current generations seem to uh, live by. Avoid irrelevant excuse me, irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. You know, if Christians sound and act like non-Christians, then what's the difference? Where would be the appeal for them to come out of that uh, and into the church if it's the same as the bar that they go to or, you know, the, the party party? that they do uh, with their buddies. Their talk will spread like gangrene, or cancer is a possible way of understanding this. Uh, we understand the concept here is that sometimes bad things in the body spread fire just so fast, You know, just immediately it, it's out of control. And so that's what he's saying here is you need to make sure that you avoid this sort of stuff because once it gets started, it goes crazy in, in the culture, in the group. Uh, he says, among them are Himeneus and Philetus. So here's, here's another couple of names that Paul names, troublemakers that are not helping the mission of the church. In fact, they're doing the opposite. Uh, Now, here, he's much more specific as to what their offense is, what the problem is. Who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the the faith of some. Now, what exactly is it that these guys are saying? Are they going around and saying, well the people that are going to be resurrected physically have already been resurrected, and so everybody else is out of luck? Is that what they're saying? I have my doubts that that is it. Uh, because if that is it, then why would you be interested in following through with anything about Christianity? I think it's much more likely that it is an insidious false teaching uh, that we will see in some forms later uh, in the Gnosticism, uh, where your physical body is really not all that important. It's no big deal what happens to it. Uh, It's your spirit that needs to be focused on. And so I think that Hymenaeus and Philetus may have been presenting themselves as Christians, saying, well, you know what? All of us have already been resurrected. We're already living in the millennial period. We're already living in heaven. We're already in the presence of God. Um, And so we should uh, consider ourselves fulfilled in that fashion. Now, the weirdness of that is that if that is what they're taking, if that is the approach they're taking, they may have been also, like some of the people uh, mentioned by Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, teaching that there is no bodily resurrection. That basically it's all what's going on in the here and now. And so you just need to understand that you've already been changed uh, and make the most of of this new life in Christ. And I just, I find that shocking that people in the church would be okay with that sort of stuff being taught, uh, that the resurrection's already happened and there is no future resurrection uh, of the body. And, and you should be okay with that because that's just the way it is in, world, in the world. Because you may remember, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, if our hope is in this world only, we are the most pitiable of all men on the face of the earth. The thing that gives power to the gospel is the literal bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ and the promise of a literal bodily resurrection of, of every believer that is still coming when the trumpet is sounded and the dead in Christ rise and the living in Christ are transformed. And so we need to unambiguously teach that as Christian basics and not allow people like Hymenaeus and Philetus to say anything different than that, because it's it's going to do exactly as it says right here— it will upset the faith of some. Uh, Christians were being um, misled and uh, thrown into the fits or pit of despair uh, from these two troublemakers. But, Paul continues writing, God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. So God has a foundation, that he's already laid. Jesus is that foundation. And it bears this seal, bears this mark showing that it belongs to him. Quote, the Lord knows those who are his, end quote. And so there's a couple of places in the Old Testament that seem to say something along that line. And the idea, though, is is sound. It is God himself who is all-knowing, He is quite aware of who belongs to him. And apparently, uh, these guys that Paul just mentioned don't belong to him, so they should not be listened to. Instead, they should be told they need to repent. Uh, And Paul goes on, quote, Let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity, end quote. Uh, That's just a long way of saying repent, Uh, we need to change the way we think, which is going to change the way we act. Uh, If we claim to name the name of Jesus Christ, we need to act like Jesus Christ. And we most certainly ought not to go around saying there is no future bodily resurrection, that we've just been resurrected in our thinking by embracing this philosopher Jesus. Uh, Because if that is the case, if all you're interested in is Jesus as a philosopher and not as a Savior, not as the resurrected Lord, then there is no salvation for you in his name. There is no help. Uh, So there needs to be repentance, and there needs to come a lifestyle change with that repentance. Uh, Still kind of hanging on that idea, Paul goes next to verse 20. Now, in a great house, think of um, a fancy house, a a mansion, a place where the people uh, have a lot of money, and therefore they have a lot of stuff. Now, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver— you know, because in a big fancy house you'd expect expect to see some really fancy things, right? But there are also vessels of wood and clay, so there are more mundane materials in more mundane objects in even the most fancy houses. Some are for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Um, Think about uh, something like this. Uh, In a big fancy house, there might be a great big uh, fancy vase made out of uh, very expensive pottery, and it's got gold and silver ornamentation on it, and it's there just to be beautiful, just to be pretty. But then, not very far from there, just around the corner in the bathroom... There might be uh, the spindle that holds the toilet paper roll in place. And it's made out of plastic um, instead of the wooden clay that they use here. It's made out of something cheap and not that big of a deal. Well, in a big fancy house, you have a wide variety of things going on and therefore a wide variety of objects that are supporting those things that are going on. Now, where's Paul going with this? Verse 21. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready to get, for every good work. So, Paul is kind of given this sense that you don't want to be one of these barely useful things, barely valuable things. You want to be useful to the Word of God, to the work of God. Well, make that choice. Get involved in it. Don't live a sin-filled life still. I I keep coming back to this. The word repentance is the idea of changing the way you think, which in turn changes the way you act. And so that is what Paul wants us all to wrap our minds around. Uh, Don't be like these two named bad guys up here, Hymenaeus and Philetus, who thought that they could go around and say, oh, well, you know, the resurrection has already happened. You don't need to be thinking about that. You need to be more focused on the Word of God and making yourself available to doing things His way. Uh, and so Paul continues, verse 22, so flee youthful passions. Uh the The desires of the body seem often to be much stronger when we're younger. Our bodies are a little bit more, um, I don't know, focused on the physical when we're younger. So, Paul tells his young protege, you need to run away from some of those out-of-control, youthful passions, and instead... Chase more appropriate things. Pursue righteousness, you know, doing things God's way. Faith, you know, trusting God. Love, which would be caring, not just simply for God, but for other people. Uh, Love, uh, and this is, by the way, uh, the agape love. So it's the commitment to other people. Regardless of what it might cost you. So Paul says, Timothy, that is what you ought to be chasing after. And peace. Peace is all about uh, repairing relationship. So instead of fleeing, instead of having these youthful passions that you want to chase down, instead pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Uh, You know, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, Jesus said. And so, we need to join the pure in heart. We need to be part of those that call upon the name of the Lord. Uh, And what's his name? Well, he who is. What's Jesus' name? He who is salvation. So we need to be part of that group rather than chasing down uh, all the youthful passions. Verse 23, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. Um, there, we've talked about this before. You know it. There are some people out there that just seem to love to stir the pot. They seem to love putting a fly in the ointment. They seem to love throwing a monkey wrench in the works to see what might happen, what, what interesting things might occur. And so in the church, we have the same sort of problem, where there will be foolish and ignorant people, people that don't think beyond their own desires, don't think beyond uh, what their own immediate goals are. Uh, they only want to stir up controversy. Um, and Paul says, don't you dare get involved in that sort of stuff, Titus, or Timothy. You don't need to be that type of person. Instead, verse 24, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome but instead kind to everyone. So here's again uh, truth for all Christians, but it is particularly focused on ministers, on preachers and teachers of God's word. We need to not be intending to stir the pot. Instead, we need to be thinking about the people that we're engaging with. We need to be kind to them, not mean and... Uh, rude, and spiteful. We need to be kind to everyone, even those that aren't kind to us. Uh, Able to teach. You know, this is one of the requirements of being a preacher, uh, to being a leader in the spiritual part of the church. You have to be able to communicate the intentions and teaching of God. Patiently enduring evil. Uh, That means having evil things done to you, bad things, you don't strike back, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. See, every person I as a preacher come into contact with, my mind ought to be thinking them, as a POW, a spiritual POW that needs help getting out of that. And I need to speak to them with appropriate attitude in the hopes of winning them out of that bad relationship with this world.